Well, big kids, we are in Genesis this morning. Um, I want to look at a passage, if you look up here on the screen uh, with me here. Um, it says, therefore, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out of his treasure things old and new. So I want to consider with you guys, um, just in light of this passage, okay, we've been on Sunday mornings spending time in Genesis and Romans, and I don't know if you've been catching this, we've been doing it since the first of the year, but if you guys beginning to see how much is intertwined, how many of the teachings we're getting from Romans being a doctrinal book for us as believers to know what's right, what we should be given to as the church, we're seeing foundational truths to those things laid out for us right here in Genesis and I think the blessing we've had just working through uh, the book of Gen- Genesis is foundational for our faith, big time. And it is something that we need to stand upon and know. And I think it's such a blessing. As Jesus said here, there's a blessing taking the, the old and the new and just being able to do Romans and Genesis with you guys, I think has been a huge blessing for us just in our growth uh, personally as a church family here. Uh, it's good to do that. So I think we get best of both worlds doing this. Um, Anyways, we're going to be picking up in chapter 15 of Genesis this morning. So if you guys want to open your Bibles there. Well, Father, we do want to thank you uh, for this time together this morning. We want to pray and ask just a blessing upon the teaching of your word here. Uh, It's our desire, God, for you to Uh, just speak truth into our lives. Our faith would grow, God, that we would be believing, desiring to obey and serve and do whatever you're asking us to do for your glory, Father. Uh, So would you please, Lord, uh, just speak to us now. We ask in your name. Amen. So a little bit of uh, where we're at in Genesis. Uh, We've had Abraham. He came up last time we were here. Um, and there's a city of Sodom, which Abram didn't really care a whole lot for, except for one thing. His nephew Lot lived there, okay? And if you guys recall with me, there was this confederation of these Babylonian kings. They ransacked Sodom, uh, and they took Lot captive. And then Abraham, as you guys recall, marches off with his militia and launches a military raid against uh, those to retrieve his nephew Lot. Uh, so when he returns, he's met with two other kings, and you guys remember one was the king of Sodom and one was the king of Salem. Uh, the king of Sodom tries to reward Abram with a bunch of spoils, let me bless you, give you all this stuff, and he refuses, and he didn't want to think, have anyone think or be known as he got all his stuff, his riches, uh, because of wicked Sodom, okay? Uh, he was a man of integrity. I really appreciated that with uh, Abram. And then we're told he offered then Abram to this king of Salem, Melchizedek. He tithed to him and were, it's a sign of respect. He had respect for this man who was king and also a priest. But now Abram's back home and it hits him. He's now made enemies in Babylon uh, and he it creates some anxiety within him. And that's when God speaks to him. And that's where we pick it up this morning in Genesis 15. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision saying, Do not be afraid, Abram. So he is concerned about King 
Chetelemers uh, and his three eastern allies regrouping, refortifying, coming after him, attacking him and uh, all of his family. But I love how God reassures him. I hope you underline this in your Bible. God declares here, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Wow, isn't that cool? So hey guys, in our, in our immaturity, we often look you know, for something from God, whether it's a reward or protection or a blessing. But God is all we need. Do you understand that? He is our great reward. Heaven is going to be awesome. How many of you guys are looking forward to getting there? I can't wait. But the coolest part of heaven is actually being able to finally see our Heavenly Father face to face, to hang with Jesus. Like, it is going to be so cool. And let me tell you what, I don't want heaven if, if God isn't there. God is our treasure. He's what makes it good. And that's the thing, guys. In this life, we have a tendency to want to seek the blessed scene rather than the blessed sore. And guys, Jesus is our treasure. He is our everything. He is the becoming one. It is him. And that's why this verse, I am your shield in your exceedingly great reward. Isn't that cool? Okay, so he really is our richest blessing, guys. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me seeing I go childless? In the heir of my house, Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abram said, look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is the heir. So back in chapter 12 of Genesis, God laid this cornerstone in his plan of salvation. It was initiated, fundamental agreement on which the entire Bible, guys, has been constructed. And we call that the Abrahamic covenant. Okay? Um, it's a threefold promise that God made to Abram. Okay? A chunk of land, descendants, and through his family, the entire world is going to be blessed. So God promised Abram land, a nation, and blessing. Okay, property, posterity, and priority. And the best way to remember these three guys, the three S's, sod, seed, and salvation. Can we remember that? Sod, seed, salvation. These are the promises that God made, this covenant with Abram. Now, Abram is thinking of this covenant, and he sees a problem, right? Okay, it all hinges on him having an heir. He needs to have a son, but he lacks a child. And his wife, Sarai, barren. Now, following the culture of the day, it was custom, hey, if I don't have my own children, I'm going to name a servant, and he will be my heir, Eleazar. Well, let's look at verse 4. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Now keep in mind, Abram is 85 years old. 20 years in to Social Security. Dude's not a young chicken anymore. Should not be having babies, but God promises him that from his body will come a child. Then he brought him outside, we're told. And said, look now toward heaven and count the stars. Okay? You can't number them. And he said to him, your descendants, okay, they're going to be like these stars. So Abram not only will have a son, but he's going to have thousands upon 
thousands of great, great grandchildren. So one day, Abram will have an all-star family. Think about it. And is that true? Yeah! Israel's there and thriving. They are in the land. Woohoo! God is faithful to his promises. Now, verse 6 is a key passage, right? And he believed in the Lord, and he, God, accounted it to him, Abram, for righteousness. So here, Genesis 15, verse 6, is often quoted in the New Testament, isn't it, guys? Okay, we see it four times. You guys can jot down the references, as we saw a few weeks back in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, and also in verse 22. Paul brings it up again in Galatians 3, verse 6, and then James chapter 2, verse 23. So this verse Paul uses to prove we obtain, we maintain a right relationship with God, not because of what we do or we don't do, but because of faith in God's promises. So all God's blessings are received by faith and faith alone. Verse 7 says, And he said to him, I am the Lord, who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you a land to inherit it. And he said, Lord God, how shall I know that I will inherit it? Now, Abram was looking for proof. He wanted some confirmation. Is that a bad thing? We want proof. God, can you confirm this? For I want you to ratify this covenant, okay? Uh, literally, he was looking for God to sign the contract. That's what Abram wanted. And what are we told then? So God said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a, dirtle, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Then he brought all these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. But he did not cut the two birds in two. So this was customary, okay, means by which people would sign their contracts back in the day. So this is how the ancients would cut a deal, okay? Uh, yeah, that's funny. Did you guys catch it? Okay, good. <laughs> they would slaughter these series of animals. Uh, they would cut cross-section right down the middle, toe to the head there. Um, animals halves uh they would be put out in a corridor and the two parties then would go through okay and that would show a sign of an agreement they would walk side by side through these animal halves as a commitment to their part in the covenant now you think like closing on a house is a big hassle imagine signing this type of contract okay uh now verse 11 and when the vultures came down on the carcasses abram drove them away so after slicing the beef here abram you know sat down he's he's waiting on god he really believed god was going to show up there right there with him he expected god to literally walk with him through these animal halves and he waited all day into the evening, shooing off these vultures, waiting for God to appear. And now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. In other words, Abram had a nightmare. Then God said to Abram, Know certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs. They will serve them and they will afflict them for 400 years. 
Guys, God right here is predicting, prophesying that the children of Israel, the Jewish people, would be in bondage and slavery there in Egypt for 400 years. And yes, that did happen. And also, the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with great possessions. So when Moses led the Hebrews out of Egypt in the Exodus, they brought with them spoils and treasures of the Egyptians. And then God continues, Now, as for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried at a good old age, but in the fourth generation they shall return here. For the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So Abram's neighbors, they're going to grow more and more corrupt. The Amorites will plunge into sexual perversion in the occult. God will use the Hebrews uh, return to the land to punish the wicked Amorites. And while Abraham is dreaming here, in verse 17, it tells us what happens next. And it came to pass when the sun went and it was dark, or went down and it was dark, that behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. So according to this custom of a covenant, it was sealed when both partners would join arms and walk together through the animal carcasses. So they were saying to each other that if they didn't fin- you know, fulfill their end of the deal, they would be dead meat. I mean, that's what they're saying. So Abram was expecting God to join arms with him, and the two would walk together. But God walked down the corridor by himself. Okay, catch this, guys. Abram, what's he doing? Sleeping. He's snoring, okay? God's doing the walk. In other words, it's not a unilateral Uh, It's totally one-sided covenant happening here. And this was not man's part, but it's God's part. It is all God. He would complete his promise all by himself. So man's obligation was simply to rest and put his faith in the Lord. So while Abraham was in a deep sleep, God appeared in the form of a burning torch in a smoke sensor Later, God will appear to Abraham's descendants as a cloud by day and a fire by night. Perhaps Abraham woke up just in time to see God walk down the carcass corridor all by himself. So Abraham awoke, looked on, and he believed. And here's the lesson for you and I, guys. Salvation is not a tag team effort, period. You see, guys, it's not up to us to meet God halfway. The blessing of God is not received by doing half the work. It's being a recipient. That's our part. That's all we can do is receive by faith. God does all the work. He takes sole responsibility for earning the blessing. All we have to do is wake up and believe. That's what this world needs to do, guys. They need to wake up and believe. But how are they going to hear unless we go tell them, right? A lot of people don't even believe in God of the Bible. They think this account of Genesis is a joke. No, this is foundational. We are rejecting God. We just read of the Amorites, right? Their wickedness is growing worse and worse. There's a great hope that, hey, let's make America great again because we have a great foundation. Do you guys know that in history, every people that have ever lived gets crazy wicked and rebellious that's our human nature 
And the only hope there really is, is God to change us. That's our hope. But if we're living in a day and a time where, hey, this isn't real, there is no God. Survival of the fittest, children. That's what we're going to teach you. You know, our wickedness is growing. It's inevitable. Until Christ returns, guys, there is no hope. The only hope we have is in Him, faith in Him for salvation and sharing that hope with others. So it's our choice. What fight are we going to fight? Okay? Um, Yeah. You guys understand salvation is all of God. We want saving in so many things, but he alone is Savior. And I love, I love that this is here in Genesis. Isn't this cool? That is faith alone. Foundational for us. So, in verse 18, uh, God clarifies the boundaries of the land given to Abram. On the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying to your descendants, I have given this land. From the river of Egypt, the Nile, that great river, the river Euphrates, the Canaanites, the Kizanites, the Kadamites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Gizurites, and the Jebusites. So the debate today going on whether or not Israel owns the West Bank there, Jordan. Well, God says here they own the land west of the bank of Euphrates. So God has given the Hebrews, not only today, disputed territories, the West Bank, Gaza, the Golan Heights, but he's also given Israel a lion's share of Egypt, okay? Sinai, uh, Lebanon, Jordan, Saudi Arabia, uh, Syria, Iraq, Kuwait. All of it was given to Israel by God. So today Israel's about 8,000 square miles, okay? We've often heard it said that it's the size of New Jersey, Guys, the land that was given to Israel by the Lord is 300,000 square miles. It is huge, okay? Now, uh, Sarai, we're told here, Abram's wife had borne him no children, and she had an Egyptian maidservant whose name was Hagar. Now, remember when famine struck in Canaan, rather than trust God, And stay put, Abram, he ventures off to Egypt, and Egypt is always a picture of the world in the scriptures. So back to the world, right? Uh, So there, uh, he picked up two items while he was in Egypt that caused him problems, herds in a Hagar. Uh, The herds caused conflict between him and his nephew Lot, and Hagar uh, will cause conflict even still (laughs) to this day. So by the time Sarai is at least 75 years old here, and even if she was given some mega dose of fertility drugs, she ain't going to be having a baby, right? Um, So Sarai comes up with her own plan. She will bear a child via a surrogate. So Sarai said to Abram, See now, the Lord has restrained me from bearing children. Please go into my maid and perhaps I shall obtain, obtain children by her. So this is uh, a customary remedy of the day for barren women to have children through a maidservant. This would be the first example of surrogate motherhood. Uh, but though this was an accepted method, it was not God's method. I want us to catch that. This is not what God had planned. And not every good idea is God's idea. Okay, 
So what's customary may not be godly. Even within the church, do you guys know that we have a lot of traditions are not necessarily what God has asked of us in the church? Okay, so we always have to go back to God, what have you said? <laughs> That's what matters. So we need not wait on God and trust in God was their mentality. And the New Testament calls that type of mentality as walking in the flesh, right? Okay, in our own in in you know, wisdom in our own power, trusting in human means rather than trusting in God's. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And then Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, and gave her to her husband Abram to be his wife. And after Abram dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, so he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And oh, what a fateful day that was, guys. Think about it. Okay, Hagar went into Abram's tent, a maid, and came out a mom, and it ignited this, you know, bomb that's still going off in the Middle East to this day. And when Sarai saw that Hagar had conceived, her mistress became despised in her eyes. So Hagar here coped in attitude, okay? Um, she felt superior okay, to the barren wife, Sarai, and she began to demand more of Abraham's attention. And then Sarai said to Abram, hey, my wrong be upon you, <laughs> okay? So it was her idea, but now she blames him. I gave my maid into your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, I became despised in her eyes. The Lord judged between you and me. So the baby isn't even born yet, and this battle is erupting. Hagar gets haughty, Sarai's jealous, and Abram, he's caught in the middle of all of this. So you guys got the scene of what's going on? So Abram said to Sarai, Indeed, your maid is in your hand. Do to her as you please. And when Sarai dwelt harshly with her, she fled from her presence. So Sarai uh, was so mean that Hagar... Uh, runs back home, okay? And remember the word, the name Sarai means contentious. So Sarai hated Hagar and apparently tried to run her off. But then we have verse seven. I love this. Now the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, by a spring on the way to Shur. So this was a road back to Egypt. Apparently Hagar was heading back home and that's where the Lord intercepts her, okay? And we're told the angel of the Lord appeared to her by a desert spring. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I am fleeing from the presence of my mistress, Sarai. Now understand that this angel might be often we see in the Old Testament the angel of the Lord appearing or an angel of Jehovah is actually a pre-Bethlehem, pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus Christ. So the word angel simply means messenger in the Bible and it can refer to an angelic messenger, a human messenger, a divine messenger. So in this, Jesus, he is communicating a very powerful message here. This is the first appearance of the angel of the Lord that we find in all of the Bible. 
So there's no record of this angel appearing to Noah or to Enoch or to Abram or any of the heroes of faith. No, his first appearance is to a Gentile woman who's been used, abused, and discarded. Doesn't that sound like our God? Isn't that the heart of our God? So we shouldn't be surprised by this. Jesus was called a friend of sinners. He came to heal the brokenhearted, to free the oppressed, a friend to the friendless. And here's Hagar, broken, alone. Reminds me of John chapter 4 when Jesus shows up at the well there. The woman from Samaria. But it's cool to think Genesis 16 records, records for us the first woman at the well. And it was a Hagar. So the angel said to the Lord here, um, or the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit yourself to her hand. So in other words, go and sin no more. And then the angel of the Lord said to her, I will multiply your descendants exceedingly so that they shall not be count or they shall not be counted for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you are with child and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael because the Lord has heard your affliction. Now, the name Ishmael simply means God hears. You know, so God heard her cry. Now he shall be a wild man, we're told, and his hand shall be against every man and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. So the angel's description perfectly describes the descendants of Ishmael, the Arabs. You see, throughout the century, God has multiplied Arab nations. Uh, the Arabs have proved to be a wild man. They have rebelled against the one and true living God. Uh, they've concocted a false religion of Islam, uh, which encourages violent and hostile struggle, uh, jihad, you know, by Arabs and non-Arabs. And as the angel predicted, he said, his hand shall be against every man. And that's true, Okay. The angel's word has come to pass, okay? Even today, we see the Arabs in the Middle East. They're fighting amongst ones, one another and everyone uh, else. You know, there's fears. We're talking about pulling out of Afghanistan after 20 years, you know, and the rally is terrorism is still there. And if we pull out, it'll probably be on the rise. That's just who they've been throughout the centuries, just like God said, um, but also, guys, uh, we see a lot of Arabs. Okay, I was in Israel just over a year ago. Right there in Israel, Arabs are living amongst the Jews, just like the, they will dwell in the presence of their brothers. Like God's word is being fulfilled. Um, so there they are, verse 13. Then she sh called the name of the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees. For she said, have I also here seen him who sees me? Therefore, the well was called Ber Lahairoi. Observe, it is between Kadesh and Barad. So the name Ber Lahairoi means well of the living one who sees. Pretty cool. So I hope you guys realize that you have a God that sees. He sees everything. He sees your hurts. He sees the pain. He sees your struggle, maybe at work, 
maybe at home, your illnesses, crumbling marriage, your situation isn't being overlooked. God isn't way out there somewhere doing his own thing and lending us to our own affairs. No, he very much cares about us guys. He knows what's going on. He sees. And I love that. I love that. Sometimes we don't want God to see. We like our our secrets and our sin, and we want to hide those things. But if we've been born again, okay, we know that our God loves us, and he loves us enough to chasten us. He sees what's really going on, what's in our heart, what's needed. And we should be open to that correction, and thankfully he's there. Think about how many kids think they just get away with, you know, with things because mom and dad will never find out. But the thing is, if you're a child of the king, he sees it all, you know, the good and the bad, you know, the happy and the hard. He sees it all, and I'm thankful for that. So we see with Hagar here in verse 15, she bears or bore Abram a son. And Abram named his son, whom Hagar bore Ishmael. And he was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. I think it's sad, uh, but when Abram or Hagar returns to Abram's house here, his tent, the hostilities between Sarai and her didn't end. The conflict spills over to their sons, Ishmael and Isaac. In fact, even today, guys, Ishmael and Isaac are still at each other's throats. You look at the Middle East, the hostilities between the Jews and the Arabs are a direct result of abraham's mistake okay so guys when you try to do god's will your own way you're going to make a mess of the situation that's what we can learn from this faith trusts god to do his work his way in his time but god promised me this and it hasn't happened great keep the faith until it happens okay there are many promises that God has spoken to us. We see many examples in the scriptures. People made, waited many years, if not decades sometimes, for God's word to pass. But that's why we fight the good fight of faith until the day we die. Okay, We don't keep the faith for a week. God, you said! Didn't happen! No, we keep the faith. That's what we do. We are people of faith. Walk by faith and not by sight, right? Let's take a look at chapter 17. When Abram was 99 years old, oh, the Lord better come back by that time. Um, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I'm almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. And I've made you a father of many nations. So in Hebrew, guys, the name Abram, okay, it's related to the word Abba, where we get the word daddy, right? And Ram means exalted. So Abraham means exalted daddy or i like to call him big daddy okay <laughs> that's the promise god had given okay you are gonna be the father of many so uh the mechanics are very interesting when you start diving into the linguistics of uh his name if you say the word abraham 
okay, by adding a constant M, you're taking a breath at the end of Abram, okay? So Abram, it turns fruitful. Abram turns into Abraham, a breath, okay? The breath of the Holy Spirit. You remember Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit, okay? Breathed on them life, okay? That's what God does. He breathed life into Abram, a lineage given. That's why we must be born again in the Spirit of God, guys. As Christ breathed new life into you. I sure hope so, guys. Okay? We need Him. We need Him. Um, so don't walk in the flesh. Walk in the power of the Spirit. Uh, and that's when things change. And only God can do that. You guys know that? Okay? We can't change ourselves. It is a gift. And He's a good daddy, isn't He? If we, being evil, know how to give good gifts to our children, how much more will our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Some of us think, well, when I start doing my Christianity well enough, if I'm good enough, or I do these things, then I will get the Spirit of God. That's not how it works, guys. We have a good dad who loves giving good gifts to his kids, and the best gift I've ever been given is his Spirit, okay? Knowing him, being in him, life with him. There's nothing like it, guys, okay? Um, and all we need to do is ask, and we ask by faith. Alrighty. Verse 6 now. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you in their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. So if God had not gone through these animal parts by himself, he, he left even a little bit of that covenant up to us, we would have messed it up, guys. That's our human tendency. That's our nature. God had to do it all. Otherwise, we would have blown the whole thing. So our relationship with God would have been temporal and not eternal. God offers us for, forever forgiveness. Think about that. Forever. You will blow it this week. I will blow it this week. We are sinners, okay? But because we're in Christ, we're eternally forgiven sinners. Think about that. Even the sins we haven't yet done, they're forgiven. I don't understand it because that's so far beyond what we can make sense of all of this. But that's why God had to do what is unthinkable. God is going to become like his creation to become a perfect sacrifice because none of us, the billions and billions that have lived, not one of us could have done it on our own. Yep. And that's why he did the unthinkable, becoming like you and me to die in our place. Wow. What a gift. What a savior, guys. So our relationship, guys, to God, you know, uh, it is eternal because of his great love, his great forgiveness, okay? Uh, he, for, he earned that forgiveness for us. You know, he did it. Let's move on. It says, also, I give to you and your descendants after you the land in which you are a stranger, all the land of Canaan and an everlasting possession, 
and I will be their God. So Israel's lease on the land there of Canaan uh, was never revoked, okay? When God gave Big, da- Big Daddy Abraham the land, okay, it was to belong to him and his family forever. And isn't it cool, guys? It wasn't that long ago. Uh, first service, we had some old dudes that were actually alive in 1948 when Israel became a nation, okay? Back in the land, just like God promised, okay? They had been dispersed throughout the world for our almost 2,000 years. Think about that. Okay? But the land was promised to them. And God promised that in the last days he would gather them back together. And we see that happening. We have Jews from all over the world, many of them atheists because of the persecution over the years. They're just in a place there is no God. This just sucks to be a Jew. <laughs> but for some reason in their heart, they want to move back to Israel. Millions from all over the world are going back home for some reason. What's up with that? God's promise. That's what's up with that. And we're living in exciting times, guys. Israel is there, okay? Um, so despite all the Palestinians' claims on the land today, God said it's an everlasting possession. And then in verse 9, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. So I'm sure here Abram never forgot his experiences among those animal parts, but God wanted all Abram's descendants to remember their covenants. And that's why in chapter 17, God prescribes a surgical symbol for all Jewish males. Circumcision will become a family crest to the family of Abram. Now in verse 10, God says here, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male child among you shall be circumcised and you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now remember, Abraham is 99 right now. Old dude. Yet God schedules a surgery for him. God continues his instructions and he says, He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male child in your generation, he who is born in your house or bought with money from a foreigner who is not your descendant, he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money must be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised male child who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. So circumcision is a you know cutting away of the flesh, okay, which is for us the equivalent the, the key spiritually speaking of victory for me in you. We don't walk in the flesh, we rely upon the Holy Spirit. That is the picture for you and I. So God said to Abraham, as Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. So as with Abram, God gives his wife a new name, goes from Sarai, contentious, to Sarah, which means princess. The breath of God you become my daughter, the daughter of the king, Sarah. Isn't that cool? A princess. Uh, yeah. Verse 16. I will bless her and I will also give you a son by her. Then I will bless her 
and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of peoples shall be from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. Abraham fell on his face and laughed, we're told. You see, Abraham knows his wife is, you know, way on the other side of menopause here. There ain't, there ain't going to be any way that she's going to be having a child. There's got to be a misunderstanding. But God reminds him here, oh, or actually Abraham says, oh, that Ishmael might live before you. But God, you know, I've got a son. He lives in Hagar's tent. But I love God here. He says, no, we, no. Sarah, your wife, shall bear a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. Now, Isaac means he laughed. That's what his name means. Thus, every time he mentioned his son's name, Abraham would be reminded of his lack of faith. Wow. I did not believe the promise of God. Good morning, Isaac. Should have trusted you, God. Sorry, I tried to do it myself. So God continues in verse 19 for us, I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his descendants after him. So really here's the key when it comes to all the political Middle East stuff going on today. It's the Abrahamic covenant, guys. That's why we see the tensions, the wars, the fighting going on today. Uh, It's the sod, the seed, and salvation. That's what it's all about passed on to Isaac and the Jews, not Ishmael and the Arabs. And as for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I have blessed him, and I will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. He shall beget 12 princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at the set time next year. So God's saying, hey, let's get it straight here. I will bless, bless Ishmael, but Abraham's covenant, it belongs to Isaac. So this is what Arabs refuse to concede to. Okay, It's a source of this ongoing strife in Israel. The Bible refers to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the sons of Isaac, while the Quran refers to the God of Abraham, Ishmael, and Isaac. So Ishmael teaches that the covenant passed, or Islam teaches it's through Ishmael, and the Bible says it's passed through Isaac. So there in a nutshell is the Middle East conflict. That's it. So if you believe the Bible, you can't be neutral on this point. A lot of Christians are today. Christians, we need to believe the Bible, okay? So you'll side with Israel. But I also want you to know this. We have over 2,000 Muslim families in the Fox Valley here. Many of them look at you, look at me, Bible-believing Christian, as you love the Jews and you hate the Muslims. That is the farthest thing from the truth. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ died for all for the Muslim world. He loves them. He wants to see them forgiven. We have brothers and sisters sharing the good news. 
Satan is good. Islam is a lie. The one unforgivable sin for Islam is to say that God has a son and that he was crucified. Islam is a right-out attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the gospel of Jesus Christ is for all, and that includes the Muslims. So love your Muslim neighbors, guys. Love them well in the name of Jesus. Share the gospel with them. Many of them are good neighbors. Most Muslims, I've met some that are hostile, but most that I've met are very peaceable people, very nice people, very family-oriented people. They don't know the grace of God. They believe in a God, but he's not personal. And when we share the scriptures with them, and they will read the Bible, if you befriend them in love, and you can open up their Quran and show them where Allah says, hey, you as a good Muslim, you need to read the Psalms of David and the Gospels of Jesus. Guess what? I brought the Gospels with me. Here, you can do what Allah tells you to do as a Muslim. Read John. We'll get together next week and talk about it. And they begin to read about a personal God who loves them, who is so gracious, who wants to save them, that there is true forgiveness. You can really know that you have eternal life. It's the grace of God that wins a Muslim because Islam does not offer that. And we get to share that with them. So be loving to our Muslim friends. Amen? Amen. All right. Um, Yeah, wrapping up this chapter. Then he finished talking with him. And God went up from Abraham. So Abraham took Ishmael, his son, all who were born in his house and all who were brought or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house and circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him, Abraham, 99 years old, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin and Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. In the very same day, Abraham was circumcised and his son Ishmael and all the men of his house, born in the house and bought with money from a foreigner with, were circumcised with him. So Abraham was obedient, okay, and circumcised his family. Chapter 18, then the Lord appeared to Abraham by the terebinth trees of Mamre, And as he was sitting in the tent of the door in the heat of the day, so he lifted up his eyes and he looked, and behold, men were standing by. And when he saw them, he ran from his tent door to meet them. He bowed himself to the ground. Now remember, Abraham's a very powerful man. So he didn't just bow to anyone. Notice verse 1 says, The Lord appeared to Abraham. And then in verse 2, three men were standing by him. So I believe one of these visitors was God or probably another pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus here. The other two men were angels. This may indicate Jesus' reference in John chapter 8, verse 56 and 57 when he told the Pharisees, Hey, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and he was glad. And the Jews said to him, You're not even 50 years old. What do you mean you've seen Abraham? Guys, this is maybe when Jesus, you know, saw Abraham and Abraham saw him, perhaps right here. Now, verse 3, guys, Abraham said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. Please let a little water be brought and 
I'll wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree, and I will bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh your hearts and that you may not pass by inasmuch as you have come to your servant. And they said, do as you have said. So Abraham hurried to the tent of Sarah quickly uh, and said, quickly, make ready three measures of fine meal, knead it, and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd. He took a tender uh, and good calf, gave it to uh, a young man, and he hastened to prepare it. So have you guys ever been at a restaurant where your food is just taken forever and you're like, hey, do they have to go kill the cow? <laughs> That's what Abraham does here, okay, for, for his guests. Um, but I want you husbands, notice here something really important. Abraham leaves the pre-incarnate Christ and the two angels to go into the kitchen and serve with his wife. Be Christ-like. Apparently, guys, there are two ways to know Jesus. We know Luke chapter 10. Mary leaves Martha in the kitchen and goes to sit at the feet of Jesus to worship. Here, Abram leaves Jesus to help Sarah in the kitchen. Mary got to know Jesus by spending time with him. Abraham got to know Jesus by being like him, by serving his wife. Both work, guys. Got that, brothers? A few nuts. If not, Tuesday night, we have marriage class here. <laughs> 6.30, cherish. It's wonderful and beautiful. Verse 8. So he took butter and milk and the calf which he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree as they ate. Then they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Now, Abe again, 100, Sarah, 90. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, After I have grown old, shall I have pleasure? My Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh? Notice verse 12. She laughed within herself, we were told. So it wasn't out loud, an audible laugh. She chuckled within herself, but apparently the Lord read her mind. So he asked, Why did Sarah laugh, saying, Shall I surely bear a child since I am old? I'm sure this that he revealed her mind to revive her faith. Okay. And there are going to be times guys where the Lord will point out something, will reveal something to spark faith when it, <laughs> when faith's been lost. He's faithful to do that guys. We need to hold on to those promises. We need to live those promises. And he is so kind and so good that when we begin to be, begin to waver, he's going to remind us, that's one thing I love about you guys. I don't think there's a Sunday that hasn't gone by. We take his word serious. We open it. We're reminded every single time we get together of his precious promises. They're all over. There's over 6,000 promises in the Bible, guys. They're all over the problem, or Bible. And part of it is just for the children of Israel, you know. But there are many that we have being Gentile believers in Christ. We have been given much. We talk about this 
inheritance that was given to Abram, all these promises. We considered all this land. Do you guys know that Israel entered into those promises and only took a small part? Why don't they have all 300,000 plus miles of land? Because they didn't enter in and do what God asked them to do. You guys know we as the church, Gentile believers, believers in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 1, 3, we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. I think that's a great picture for us. We should not be like the children of Israel who entered in and only possessed a small part of what was given to them. If we've been given every spiritual blessing, let's have faith. Let's be revived this morning in our faith in Christ to enter into all that we have as his kids. There's a spiritual possession there for our taking. Let us not be like the children of Israel who entered in and only took a small part. Enter into all that he has for you. What does he all have? Well, I'm glad you asked. Read your Bibles, guys. Okay, God makes it pretty clear. But I'm quick to forget, and you might be like me. We need to be reminded. That's why church is good. That's why doing this, being in his word, is so needed for us as believers. So let's start wrapping this up. Um, <clears throat> the angel here, okay, talking with uh, uh, Sarah. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I think that is like the question we need to ask ourselves on a regular basis. You see, guys, most of us have little problem when it comes to God's omniscience, right? Um, on, you know, theoretically, theologically, uh, on that level, we know that God can do all things, right? We, we know that. Okay, we believe, for, exist, or for example, you know, miracles. We know God can do that. I've seen God heal people. I've seen him make, you know, precious promises and just bless abundantly. He does these things for other people, right? When it's back on us, that's when we, God, you spoke that. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think that, well, I, that could happen for them, but for me, no. <laughs> I don't know why we do that, guys. Let that not be so. And if God's made a promise, if he's spoken, you know, trust him, okay? This miracle, you know, that he wants to perform in your life. It is his doing. It's his choosing. All we need to do is say, yes, Lord, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> I believe. I'll receive. So that's when I think we're tempted, guys, to laugh it off. I know you can do those, but for me, no, not for me, Lord, not for me. Don't shrug it off, guys. God can work miracles um, in your life, okay? Um, a lot of times we think those miracles happen when we're doing the right things. You know, well, if I just do this or I'm singing the right songs or if my devotions have been super sweet or I have the right statements of faith, <laughs> that's when God will move in my life. The thing I love about God, God is God. He does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. You know, I've seen him bless people that have it all together and I've seen him bless people that are a complete mess. You know, our God does what he wants to do. <laughs> Our question is, is anything too hard for the Lord? Because it doesn't matter who you are and what you're going through. We all have our stuff, and we all need the Lord. And I think experiencing him <laughs> is the greatest gift, and that is for any. If you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. There is nothing like doing life with God. Guys, enter into all that he has. 
So the Lord here is challenging Sarah. He's challenging us, I believe. Are we really believing or are we just bluffing? Believing or bluffing? How real is your faith? It's pretty real because my spouse makes me come here and my mom and dad believe. No. You personally, do you believe? Let me ask you, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I love how the Lord continues in verse 14 at the appointed time. I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. And then the men rose, and there they looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to send them off on their way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm going to do? Since Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have known him in order that I may command his children and his household after him that they keep the way of the Lord, to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has spoken to him. Now the Lord doesn't share his secrets with strangers. He shares with friends. And aren't you glad you're called friends of the Lord's? And since Abraham's a friend of God, the Lord said to him, because the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry against it that has come to me. And if not, I will know. And then the men turned away from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham still stood before the Lord. So apparently the angels continued to Sodom while Jesus stayed with Abraham. And Abraham came near and said, Would you also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous men within the city. Would you also destroy the place and not spare it for 50 righteous that were in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing as this, to slay the righteous with the wicked, so the righteous should be as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? So the Lord said, If I have found in Sodom 50 righteous men within its city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. Again, Abraham was God's friend, and he knew God's heart, right? And the nature. I'm not going to judge. I know you. You're not going to judge the righteous with the wicked. The righteous always come out before judgment comes. Always. So this is one reason why I believe in the pre-trib rapture of the church, guys. We're told we're to comfort one another. The Lord's going to return. Man, the shout of the archangel, come up here, and we're going to be taken up to be forever with the Lord. And if you read the context there in Thessalonians, it comes before we're not appointed to wrath. The judgment is coming. The wrath of God, the great tribulation will happen. But we will be taken out of here, guys. The righteous will not stand with the wicked. Isn't it so cool that we see that taught, that principle, all the way back here in Genesis? It's right here. Anyways, 
Um, I love Abraham here, okay? As Abraham points out, God doesn't like to judge the righteous with the wicked. And he goes on in verse 27. Then Abraham answered and said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon himself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there were five less than 50 righteous. Would you destroy the city for a lack of five? So he said, if I find there 45, I will not destroy it. And he spoke to him yet again and said, suppose there should be 40 found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 40. And then he said, well, let not the Lord be angry and I will speak. Suppose there 30 should be found there. So he said, I will not do it if I find 30 there. And he said, indeed, now I have taken it upon myself to speak to the Lord. Suppose there's 20 should be found there. So he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 20. And then he said, let not the Lord be angry. And I will speak, but once more. Suppose 10, only 10 should be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for the sake of 10. So the Lord went on his way as soon as he had finished speaking with Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. I'm pretty sure God would have went all the way down to one righteous, okay? Um, Israel. We went last February. A few of you guys here went with. Um, I loved going into the old city of Jerusalem there. They got tons of shops. And it is Jewish culture to Hegel. I wonder where they learned that from, Father Abraham, <laughs> right? Jewish people like to Hegel. It's one of their traits. Um, and we see Abraham here haggling uh, with God over big stakes, okay? I mean, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah were going to be destroyed because of their wickedness. But what about the righteous? there and he haggles and he keeps on going um, and this is very typical in middle eastern cultures today um, but i just want to end with this thought with you guys um, we the friends of god who know the heart of god i would love if we in our prayer our prayer time would learn how to holy hagel with the lord I think we like to overcomplicate our prayers. I think we can just really simplify, really share with the Lord what's in our heart because we see what's going on. God obviously sees and knows what's going on, but we can just be real with him. It's hard to see what's happening. And God just wants us to be real with him. So I want to encourage you guys, do some holy haggling, okay? And we're going to see next week or two weeks from now what happens to Sodom. So read ahead, please. It's going to be good. So Father, as we close our time this morning together, we're thankful once again for your word. It does uh, so speak to our hearts where we're at right now. It's amazing, Lord. Your word is so relevant. God, you've asked us to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. God, so we want to do that together this morning. We know that she's the apple of your eye. Lord, your chosen people, you love them. We thank you so much uh, that you sent your son, Jesus, to be born among your own people, to not only save them, but to save the whole world. 
a blessing to all nations. What a Savior, what a gift you've given to us, Lord. We want to be like Father Abraham, be those people who believe, people of faith. God, not in what we do or don't do, but in what you have done for you alone are Savior. Thank you so much, God, for your precious promises. God, help us to enter into all that you would have. Lord, teach us to walk in the Spirit. God, not in the flesh. The flesh comes so easy and natural, Lord. We are so sorry for our self-centeredness, our carnal minds. God, renew us. God, please, Holy Spirit, work in our lives for your glory. We ask in your name. Amen? Amen.